Welcome to the How to Get a Job podcast. In this podcast, we help take away that fear of graduating without a job and instead teach you the strategies and skills required to land your dream job. So if you're ready to master your career, land the job of your dreams, listen for more. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome back to this episode of the podcast. Today, I'm excited because I have Karen Hebert Macaro, and she is the GM of education for Morning Brew. Karen, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? How was your weekend? I'm feeling great, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. Weekend was good. Had a long one where I am. So it was always nice to get that extra day. Absolutely. Um, so I'm excited to talk because I'm like, before um, I we were doing this interview, I was doing a lot of research and it makes me super excited because you have experience both being in a professor, working in higher education, working in media, but really understanding, you know, all sides of it from like what the, the higher education is looking for, what the companies are looking for. You're working for a company that's growing very fast and you have just experience, you know, all around. And so where do you see the future of work heading towards? Oh, what a big question. Um, yeah. So, you know, the future of work is sort of here now in so many different ways, right? Um, we are seeing so much of the mindset of the employee and the employer shifting. And I actually think that's what represents the future of work more than anything else. Yes, everybody always says remote work, remote work. That's the future of work remote. Yeah, it is. But I think it's the fact that where um, we have a tremendous opportunity um, as employees or prospective employees to decide how we want to um, sort of live our professional lives. And as companies, we have to recognize that things have shifted even in the last two or three years. And we need to be different as organizations, as leaders, as entities to appeal to a whole new mentality um, around what work is and what work should be uh, as people think about it, that portion of their life and the rest of their life. Yeah. So let me tell you kind of like my thesis or like what I've been noticing and I would love for us to have a conversation about it. So uh, COVID hit and a lot of the students that I work with were going to school when all remote, then the first jobs they got were all remote, right? Mm -hmm. And then you see companies going like, yes, remote work is, is here. Like, you know, it might be here to stay. And then lately you've been seeing a lot of companies kind of backstep and say, actually, we need to go back to work. And you, uh, the, the CEO of Goldman Sachs is everybody having to go, go to work. My wife works for a bank too. They're having them go to work at least twice a week, two to three times a week. Um, and you see this more and more common where it's like, hey, like there's a part of going to work and working in an office that it's going to help with innovation, collaboration, and so on. Now, that's great. We're not here to about talk about this. I, I, what I want to talk about is how does that affect the students that are in college that are going to a hybrid workplace? How does that affect the students or recent grads that are just starting their career? And they're like, hey, like I, I'm, I'm not used to any way. What is better for me? Should I be pushing back? Should I, because I, I'm comfortable working from home or is there an advantage for me going to the office? Like, how should I be thinking about this? Like if, what advice would you be giving me if I'm a college student? I'm like, I'm really lost, Karen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I would say, Daniel, look, it's about your personal preference um, to some extent, right? So if you are an individual who knows they want to be a digital nomad, meaning they want to travel quite a bit of the year, then obviously it's going to be important. They're going to put a priority in the career search process on 
remote first or remote primary companies. If you're somebody who is really much better at making connections in person, maybe you're going to put an emphasis on searching for those opportunities that have at least a hybrid in-person component, if not full-time in person. I think the nice part about this is that for many people, there may now be a choice. Where in before, you know, before times, um, there likely was less of a choice uh, to most, you know, college graduates or job seekers, most roles, um, and in most industries, we're going to require your physical location to be, you know, coordinated with the office locations of your company. And now there's often a choice for people to do it differently. And so I think it really is about knowing who you are and what you want. Um, and then going after something that matches those things. You know, I agree with you on that. And I think like, um, I think a lot about like, if, if I, if I have my own business, I have a team of 15, we're all work remotely. And for, as a business owner, I think about it, I'm like, Hey, like it's least expensive. Even if I pay their internet, it's still a lot less expensive, but I, I do see there's a value of having, at least the way I look at it, quarterly meetings and my business is small relatively. So, uh, quarterly meetings where there's team bonding and I even have each department manager once a week. Can, can go to co-working space like a WeWork and be able to still have some of those benefits. But I, I think that there, if if I if I think about it as, a, as an employee, I would not mind going to work. And I think everybody's preference is different as long as the advantages of going to work are, there's I can see them and I'm not going to a cubicle. If I'm going to go work from my office at home and then go and work in a cubicle in an office, I think that's what be where I'll be upset. I'm like, what's the point of the commute? But if I am going to an office where the, it's more interactive or it's like it's I can see the the tangible benefits of not only my, I'm more effective, creative, there's room for my career, but I can just see the benefits. I would be less inclined to to be upset about it or look somewhere else. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'll add to that and say that for somebody who's starting a career or thinking about, you know, joining the workforce after a degree or college or whatnot. Um, I think it's asking questions like that, that maybe you didn't have to ask five years ago that you have to ask now, because one of the things I've heard repetitively, uh, if people return to the office in hybrid situations and they go there and they're one of just four or five people that are in the office and they're still having zoom meetings all day. And so if that's what you do, if you commuted, but most of the people that you're going to have conversations with in that day are remote, and you're just going to be staring at a screen from your office location rather than from your house, you know, that may not do it for you. And so I think when you're interviewing, you really need to ask a question that five years ago, you probably never would have asked. If mm -hmm. it's a remote friendly environment, you might want to know how many times do people typically come into work? Um, what is a typical work day like in the office? Is it busy? Is it active? Um, how about your specific team? Uh, if you're going to work in a marketing team or in a finance team, do they tend to co-locate in the office or do they really prefer to work primarily uh, from a distance? Because that will also influence the quality of your work life experience, whether or not you're interested in being in the office or not. I agree with you, but I think my fear is that I'm not going to get the same level of mentoring and coaching remote that I would in person, right? And so, like, even before, like, even before COVID hit, there was a correlation, and and I had heard this from uh, Professor Scott Galloway. He had mentioned that there was a correlation with the closer you are to headquarters, like the more promotions that you get, right? And so that that was just pre-COVID, right? I can even see this now, like the person that's in the office most that's like sees the bosses more sees the other team more 
they're just going to learn more. They're going to be exposed to more opportunities. They're going to be exposed to more things. So like, I, I feel like I kind of want to encourage all my mentees to, to try to go to the office, even though it might not be as convenient, but then am I seeing it the wrong way? Like, you know, I, I think you're asking the right questions, but I would encourage people who are particularly coming out of, you know, a college or, you know, some sort of an, a higher education experience to try when they are in the interviewing process to best understand the nature of the company with regard to remote. Let's, let me just give you two examples. Um, so if your company is 100% remote, I think you said your company, Daniel, is 100% remote, yeah. then you know what? There's very little, I think, that a person would have to do, you know, in terms of uh, feeling like they are getting less experience, less exposure um, if they're joining your company because everybody's remote, right? So so you're, you've leveled the playing field by making everybody be remote. And now it's only a matter of, do you get together quarterly in person, make sure you're there, make sure that you're having the right kinds of connections via Zoom and other types of, you know, sort of social, uh, other types of media um, or technology. Um, I think that if you are going to a company that is 95% uh, in person, uh, at the office and they they just give some folks the opportunity to be remote and you are in a position where you'd have that choice, then you have to think twice about whether or not um, with a primarily in-person working environment, there will be disadvantages uh, to being remote. Uh, if you are in a company that is truly hybrid, um, that you know 50% or more of the workforce, that even some of the executives are not um, co-located in the same geographic area, then I think you can look for other ways to engage with people. And so at one point in my career, I worked for a, a large global company with headquarters in, the, in Europe, as well as in the United States. Um, and there was that same hypothesis, which I know has been sort of studied in the past. You mentioned um, Scott Galloway uh, uh, talking about the closer to headquarters, the more opportunities. I was actually the head of a people analytics group that actually did that research for this com for the company. And to be honest with us, we found no statistical difference. Yeah. Um, so I do think it varies a lot by the company. And then it puts the onus on the interviewee, the person who is looking for the job to really understand what it means to be remote in that company and to decide if it's worth whatever potential downfalls might come. Right. I, and I think about it from, for me, I have, I look, I, I have a mindset of ownership, right? It's like, I want and it's, it's even how I share with my team and even how I share with my mentees that are helping them get jobs is like, you need to own your career, regardless of what job you go to. It doesn't matter if you're going to a company that invests in your personal development or they don't, and it doesn't matter if they have the best onboarding or they have the worst onboarding. Like ultimately, yes, you need to own it, but you obviously do the research and want to make sure you go to the right, the right places. And so to me, I, I, the reason why I, I keep saying this is because like, if I'm giving advice to my son, right, or I'm giving advice to a younger self, I'm like saying they never go to the office, right? <laughs> um, I even think about it like this past week, I had uh, a conference in Miami, like a business conference, and I flew two people from my team to the conference, right? And now what happened during the conference, let's say that that conference was what you could have watched it virtually. And let's, for example, say that example that the rest of my team was able to watch the conference virtually, but there's two people that were there with me. The conversations we had between sessions, the conversations we had at dinner, the conversations we had at breakfast, right? Those conversations, like I feel so much closer and I get a little bit biased and my team listens to my podcast so you can hear this. Like, 
and, and in my head, it's like, am I being unfair to the people who didn't go to the conference, right? So like, I probably would have, it, it will affect my decision-making not that because I'm being, I'm like, does that make sense what I'm saying? And so yeah, I don't want to put myself is... in a position where I am the, I'm biasly getting the short end of the stick because I'm not in the office. Yeah, I, I, I think what you're saying is a natural human instinct for physical interaction in person, you know, to be able to see somebody to, you know, shake a hand in the pre COVID world to, you know, be able to have dinner with them or to talk in the hallway is something that's really difficult to replicate in a entirely remote or technical um, capacity. However, um, I do believe, uh, and I am a proponent of the um, the hybrid blended kind of environments. Uh, and I do believe that those give companies the benefit of finding the best talent, uh, right? So there's an opportunity for them to find talent that would not be co-located in near one of their offices or their headquarters. I also think it gives employees the opportunity to have the kinds of flexibility and work-life integration that a lot of employees want. Um, and I do think that if you are cognizant and strategic of the fact that there are trade-offs to being primarily remote, if there is a in-person option, you can still get a lot of the benefits. So that means, yes, you show up for every off-site, um, on-site, whatever you want to call it, every in-person uh, quarterly meeting, you know, that you prioritize building relationships with your teammates and your boss, even if it's virtual. And I think ultimately, we create an environment that could be even more fair. Um, and we are in the middle of it evolving, uh, yeah. but could be more fair than ever before in the sense that the best talent are given the opportunity to prove themselves by the work that they do more than the conversations that they have. Maybe we'll inch closer to it's what you know and how you behave and not who you know. Um, now, I'm not devaluing the fact that those important connections can be strengthened by in-person communication connection. And that's why I think hybrid has a real lot going for it. Do you mind if we pivot a little bit? Because no, I course. think something you said right there, it's, I agree with you and I wish it was that way, but it's not that way. And so, um, and that is right. Like, it's like, how do we get ours so that we're evaluated for what we know, and what we do versus who we know? Now, let me give you a little bit of backstory. I mainly focus on helping first-generation minority and international students, right? What do those three things have in common? They don't have a large professional network, right? And one of the basic, biggest things I help them do is how to find and build a relationship with strangers so that they can get the visibility because I've come to the conclusion that when it comes to getting your first job out of college, visibility becomes more important than ability. Right now, once you get the, the visibility to get to the interview, you still need to know what you're doing to be able to ultimately get the job. So I focus a lot with my with my mentees on the networking visibility stages and communicating their value. Um, depending on like your ethnicity, you you find yourself undervaluing yourself because and, and American is uh, American culture is like what we have done. But if you go to different cultures like Indian cultures or Asian cultures, it's a lot about we've done this so then when they say stories in the interview process they're like saying well i worked in a group project and they're giving the credit to the team and not themselves which then ultimately hurts them in the interview depending on who's interviewing them sure right? so i guess what i'm saying is i agree with you and I, as much as i would love uh, that to be fixed overnight it's not going to be fixed overnight yeah. but one of the things that i'm trying to teach my mentees to do is once they get a job is to understand clearly how they're being judged like what are their kpis right 
But so what are some advice that you have on how can an employee be put themselves to be a high high performing employee, how to, how to, a high potential employee, so they can get promoted every 16 months to two years, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. How, how do we get there? How, what are some things that we can actually do taking ownership? We're taking ownership on this. All right, as a major thank you for listening to my podcast, I have just let our career coaches know to open up their calendar for limited time only, limited spaces only to our loyal podcast listeners. So if you are currently a STEM student looking for a job in the next 90 days or graduate in the next year and you want our help, schedule a call with our team for free for a free strategy session, limited time only, link in the show notes. See you there. Sure. A couple of things. First, I am a first generation college student and not only did I go to college, but I went to graduate school and then got my PhD, um, came from an Italian American family with nobody who had done that before. So I have a, a, a sort of a, a soft spot. However, back when I was going to college, graduating from college, getting my first job, virtually no, remote was not really an option right. for, for me and for most of my colleagues and peers that were graduating at that time. We were all expected to go off into our various offices and we did our job searches 100% constrained by location yep. and our willingness to make big moves if we were going to do it and so on and so forth. And so I'm sympathetic to the fact that I haven't had the experience of being a new college graduate dealing with the fact that there is now this remote option. Mm -hmm. And to your point that as much as we'd love it to be a change that happened more quickly, um, that it's probably going to happen a lot slower than we'd like in terms of being really truly based on performance. Um, I have a framework that I often counsel, um, you know, younger, early in career people to think about because they don't always have a lot of experience that they can lean back onto, right? This might be their first or their second job. Um, and so I talk about choices, chances, and challenges. And mm -hmm. I actually think choices, chances, and challenges work even in relation to someone um, who is trying to establish themselves within a, a role. So they've already gotten the job. Now they're trying to show themselves as a high-performing, competent, and capable, capable person. So choices, chances, and challenges. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I think it's really important that everybody, especially early in career, develop a professional narrative, a story that they repeat and they extend and expand over the years. And the first part of building that narrative and that narrative becomes part of your brand. And I'll talk to you about that uh, a little bit in a minute. But the first part is understanding, understanding and being able to tell a cohesive story about the choices that they have made, um, whether that be the choices they made in their studies, um, in earlier jobs or in roles that they held when they were volunteering or were student leaders or whatnot, um, and what they what they learned from those choices, what they gained from those choices, what they have become as a result of those choices. The second is chances. Um, everybody has had some chance in their life, whatever the chance was, big or small, um, you know, there's uh, somebody, something that happened that they were able to capitalize on. So what did those particular moments in life, those chances provide the person? Were they given a chance to become a student athlete and learn from that? Did a professor take an advantage, uh, take an interest in your work and um, submit something to a competition or, you know, nominate you for something? Uh, have you studied abroad or did you get some really crazy experience working with a company while you were in school as like a, a student project. Um, these moments shape things like your worth ethic, worth 
ethic, excuse me, yeah. your work ethic, your passion, your interests, your skill sets. People early in their career should be talking about these things and they should be looking to find ways to build on them, which, you know, might include volunteering for projects in, you know, asking to be included on things that might be a little bit outside of the scope of their job so that they can learn new things, meet new people, whether that's virtually or physically within the company, so that they can show initiative, so that they can add to their skill sets. And then lastly, this challenge component, um, you know, even if somebody hasn't had years of work experience under their belt yet, um, they've likely done something that has challenged them. Um, maybe they've worked on teams uh, for group projects at school um, and they had some team blow up or go poorly. Um, maybe they struggled with a course load or a particular subject in school. All these experiences are growth experiences. And so you've learned to work through with others through these things. You've learned to inspire people. You've learned to find balance. You've learned to apply yourself, um, prioritize, get stuff done, whatever it is. And I think it's really important that you bring those challenges with you into your job too and learn from them. So if you're learning from the choices, the chances and the challenges, and you look for new choices, chances and challenges early in your career, you'll continue to build up your skill set and You'll also build up your brand because people will see you as somebody who is thoughtful, a reflective practitioner, somebody who really is thinking about how to continue to grow themselves. And I think that's pretty, pretty valuable or even early in a career or maybe even especially early in a career. No, I love that. So choices, challenge, uh, chances and challenges, right? Yeah, that that's how I think about it. No, I think that that makes so much sense in 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 community, be able to communicate your story um, through those things. I, I really love that. Um Karen, what advice do you have? As, uh, I know as there's rumors for a recession, there's fears, a lot of companies, you know, uh, hiring freezes, doing layoffs, like how, like what advice do you have for students that are graduating this December? Um, it's probably not going to be very popular advice, but it has yeah. over the course of my career, over the course of uh, of my work, coaching others in, in talent development and, and as an executive coach, um, I would say, you know, do your homework, be prepared. So you may be done with school, um, but if you are a strategic person, if you are going to manage your professional career and journey strategically, you will never stop doing your homework. So what do I mean by that? I mean, it might be tougher job times when you graduate and you're out there looking and maybe we're in a recession. Maybe there are things happening that are making the economy a little bit more skittish. Um, and so the more prepared you are, and I mean that in terms of if you've got an interview or if you're submitting some sort of a resume or portfolio or, you know, do your homework, know the company, know the competitors, know the landscape. If you are in a job because you've managed to get a job and you are new into that job, make sure you are looking at the company, not just from the little slice of your own role, but as broadly as you can. Um, you know, Buy a, a few cups of coffee virtually or in person um, with people in other departments. Understand the customer really well. Do your homework. The the thing that surprises me perhaps most is that from interviewing to promotion opportunities and to growth, it's not really always simply about who knows who, and it's not always simply about how good you are at a skill. It's about how much effort you put into it. And so while that is not going to solve every problem, it's not going to you know be the, the sort of silver bullet for every environment, every situation, every industry, every potential economic downturn. Being prepared never hurts. 
and it almost always sets you sets you apart. So you might be done with school, but you're not done with homework. Do your homework. I think it's so important. I, I say this all the time. Like every time a company is hiring, they're making an investment, and you need to have a exactly. clear understanding how you either make or save the company money. So it's not. It doesn't matter if you didn't go to business school, or it, it doesn't matter if you're a software engineer. What department or what role are you working? Are you creating efficiencies or are you developing a product that's going to be then sold, right? So how are you paying yourself back? Because they're not hiring you out of charity, right? So it's like, if they're paying you $100,000, you better believe they're making three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars off you. And that's not a bad thing. It's an equal exchange of value, but you need to understand how you, like, what are the KPIs? How you're measured? How do you, how do you save money? How do you make money? Right? How do you- Do your homework. Yep. Love it. Uh, and, and so I, I and, and I think about it like this. I do think like, yes, like whether we go into a recession or whether we are in a recession or not. Right. Um, I think ultimately the way I look at it, it's like you got to control the controllables. And if and to your point, be strategic. And what are some of the companies that benefit from a recession? Right. So um, I worked um, at PepsiCo for six years and um, it seemed like a recession. People go to supermarkets more. So maybe the soft drink, like fountain drinks at a restaurant decrease, but people bought more two liters, right? So it's like, you have to um, look at it that way and say, okay, what are some companies that benefit from recession? Or um, or I, one of the things I, I, I like is like, we focus a lot on the, on the Fortune 500 companies, but what about the Inc. 5000? Why don't we go to the 5000 fastest growing companies? If they're growing, the reason why they're not growing any faster generally is because they don't have the right people or they're, high, they're, they're stuck in hiring um, and so looking into that, but um, I love how you're thinking about being strategic with your career, because I think that's a, a point that I w- always want to emphasize. Yeah. Yeah. You said it earlier and I really resonated with me. You know, you are in control of your own career. Yeah. Don't ever think or delegate it to anyone else. Don't delegate it to, you know, your teachers, your professors. Don't delegate it to your career counselors, your coaches. Don't delegate it to your managers. You are in control of your career um, and building your own career narrative or professional narrative, thinking strategically. Um, Everybody wants to graduate into a boon market where there's a ton of open positions in the best paying jobs and fast growth companies, of course. But when that doesn't happen, um, doing your homework and setting yourself apart on the basis of preparedness and strategic thought uh, is really one of the best ways uh, that you can ensure that you get something that that is good for you and that you'll learn from as you build on your career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one last topic before we kind of wrap it off. Um, you, you, you're big about like work-life balance, right? And, and making sure you're having some um, setting boundaries. Now, it's hard for me to talk about that topic. And I think it's mainly because I'm just like very entrepreneurial minded. And for me, it's more like work, work life integration. And now I understand that's how I'm wired. I can't expect my employees to be thinking about the business 80, 90 hours a week. Right. And, and I completely get that. And I'm, but I would love for you to hear your perspective on this and how can someone right out of college that uh, it's eager, do they go, do you expect them to work 90 hours a week or how they should be managing those expectations? How should they be managing their, their bosses? Is that an industry thing? I mean, would love to just get your thoughts on it. Yeah. And it's an age old question. And yes, I do think it varies a bit by industry um, and the expectations of those industries and the people in them can be um, sometimes generalized. People have an image in their head when you say stuff like, um, 
you know, investment banking, for example. Um, and they have a different image in their head when you talk about retail or you talk about, you know, some tech company or, you know, there's different images that we all have in our head. And those images are for a good reason. There is, you know, sort of a, a stereotype, a, a belief about the way those industries work. Here's the thing, though. I don't think that um, that we as companies, as leaders can or should expect uh, people to be working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week. And I also think furthermore that um, individuals shouldn't put that expectation on themselves. Um, I think that we should um, know ourselves as well as we can and recognize what kinds of trade-offs we're willing to make at what points in our career. So I've had people say to me, look, I, I am okay working 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week in my early 20s and 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 you know mid 20s and late 20s. But once I have a family, you know, whatever that happens for you, I don't want to. And I do think there's some truth to the fact that your priorities will change over time. But I think that what's most important as an individual, and I could speak about this from the point of view of a leader or a company as well, but as, as an individual, I think what's most important is to be cognizant about what you are willing and not willing to do. If you're one of those people who are like, look, I want to work 80 hours right now because I know I'm 24 years old and by the time I'm 30, I don't want to, good for you if you're doing it strategically. If you are if you are not being strategic, if you are falling into this mentality without being thoughtful about it and you're working 80, 90 hours a week and you're burning yourself out at 25 years old, that's an issue. So I think the question really is to take the time, don't make the assumption and make a strategic choice. If you don't want to work 80 or 90 hours a week, then you need to figure out what kind of career you're going to have um, that allows you to work 40 hours a week. And then you have to be okay with whatever those trade-offs are. So I really, it's about intentional life and career management. And I talk about work-life integration all the time because for me, I've lived that. Um, but I do think that you have to be intentional. And that intentionality has not been there for a lot of people. And they find themselves very unsatisfied with the balance, the integration, the divide between work and other parts of their life. No, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Ken, as we wrap it up, I would love to learn a little bit more about uh, Morning Brew's Learning Brew offering for, for like when people are getting in new members of the workforce. Can you share us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So I run a, a, a new division within Morning Brew. Most people know Morning Brew as a newsletter company. However, we are now also a professional development and education um, company. We started 18 months ago, give or take, a bunch of learning experiences dedicated for the um, you know working professional who is interested in continuing to upskill and reskill on important business topics. So we teach you know new leaders how to lead. We teach people the stuff that they need to know about data analytics that they may not have gotten if they weren't studying, you know, finance or accounting or data um, in college, but they need to uh, know this stuff in order to do their job every day and to talk to people um, about KPIs, about measuring performance, about all the things that, you know, we sort of touched upon. So we build cohort-based courses that help people build connections um, and also learn skills that are going to help them continue to be successful in their careers. And you can check us out at learning.morningbrew.com. Perfect. I'll definitely put a link of that in the show notes. Uh, Karen, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being part of the show. Um, if people want to connect with you, what would be the best way to do so? 
Uh, so they can connect with me. I'm on Twitter at Edgiverse Queen. Um, a, a, that's uh, we call our stuff the Edgiverse, um, like the multiverse, but better. Yeah. So you can find me um, on Twitter at Edgiverse Queen, um, or you can always uh, go ahead and send in a, a, a note to the Learning Brew team, um, and you can find that uh, that email address on our website. Perfect. Thank you so much, Karen. And for everybody listening, thank you so much, and catch you guys on the next episode. Well, if you're listening to this, you have made it to the end of the episode. In the time of distraction, the fact that you're listening to this means you truly care about your career. And to reward you for that, my team and I will be hosting free one-on-one strategy sessions for podcast listeners only. So if you want to get a strategy session to speak with me or someone on my team, look at the link in the show notes to schedule your free call. Thank you so much for listening and catch you guys on the next episode.